Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Amplify Your Business. Today, I am talking about the legal profession and the entrepreneurial journey in creating a startup in that space. And with me today is Grant Laring. Grant is the co-founder and head of growth over at Good Lawyer, a firm down in Calgary. Actually, Grant, would you call yourselves a firm or because you guys are kind of beyond that? Not your yeah, typical legally firm. not allowed to call ourselves a firm. Uh, oh, yeah. We're a software company, um, a marketplace, if you will, that provides startup founders and other founders with specialized legal services uh, at a price they can trust. And we, we do that through a marketplace software, which basically cuts out the firm. So our tool lets you work directly with lawyers um, rather than communicating with the firm and paying all that extra overhead for no reason. Awesome. Well, we're going to get into that in a little bit more. But the first question I want to ask you is what are three things that you think every entrepreneur needs to know? Sure. Um, I guess I'll start with, there's a lot we could go into here, but one would be if, if you want to go far and get a group together. Um, I talk to startup entrepreneurs every single day, um, you know, three or four of them. That's kind of part of my MO as a head of growth, a good lawyer. And uh, we serve founders. So I talked to a lot of founders. Um, by far, the biggest signal to me that a, a company is going to be successful is if they've managed to convince other people to join them on that journey. Um, in the initial stages, that's really hard. But if you can't talk even one person into becoming your CTO or becoming your your COO, um, you're never going to convince someone to buy your product. And, mm, and good point. that's where I would always start. Start with finding some co-founders and convincing them that what you're doing isn't insane. Um, yeah, they'll keep you propped up when things get really hard, and um, and the fact is that one person can only do so much. You're limiting the scope of your business if you try to do it on your own. I'm going to go into the legal stuff of it because that's why we're here. But um, I see a lot of people with kind of mangled legal experiences, and I feel really bad about that. That's kind of what we're out there to solve. But um, I would say legal doesn't have to be a scary thing. Um, it generally opens doors for founders. So when you start up. Um, you have to, like you generally have to pick some kind of legal structure to build your business around. Usually, a corporation that is a tool. Uh, once you've got that corporation, you can use things like share options. You can attract investment. You can actually operate without taking personal risk. Um, that's a hugely powerful tool. But a lot of entrepreneurs hesitate to incorporate because they're uh, scared of talking to a lawyer and they're scared of messing it up. So I would say go for it. And then that continues on further down the road. It opens doors to things like closing big deals, um, operating internationally, licensing your IP, um, these powerful methods of making extra cash. Um, so don't be afraid of legal. That's what I would say. Third is um, every journey is your own. I think uh, when I started with Good Lawyer and to this day, I'm given advice by about 9 million people every single second. Um, <laughs> from podcasts, from TV shows, from walking down the street. Um, Everyone's got advice for you. They're all smart people, um, but they don't know what you know. And I think entrepreneurs should trust themselves a little bit more than they do and and be a little more confident with what they understand and know about their industry. Because generally, an entrepreneur becomes very, very skilled in, in their area of business. Um, and this helps keep them anchored and, and stay focused and avoid spending a bunch of time zigzagging when they strategically they should be going in a straight line if they if they can that's always the fastest way to get from point a to point b yeah yeah i really love that last point that you made around you know the zigzagging that we have which is born out of sometimes insecurity around or or not having the conviction to really really you know put our foot down and plan ourselves on no we are 
you're going in the right direction. I have faith in this. I have faith in me and I, I understand this market. And so you're right. There's so many things that we hear that are competing advice that really sometimes leaves us paralyzed a little bit. And it's like, sometimes you just have to, you know, block some of that out. I mean, listen to it, take the things that are going to be valuable and then make it your own. Right. Yeah. Totally. And some of it's just like a lot of bad advice too. I mean, like there, there's advice out there that I, I see people misappropriate. And yeah. The one I'm going to hit on is the one that um, is maybe hit on frequently in other spaces, but um, move fast and break things is often quoted in startups. Um, yeah. as like an idea that like, you know, it's all about like hitting fast learning and kind of getting through it, which maybe it is. Um, but I would say that moving slower and getting things right is obviously less expensive. <laughs> like, just think about it. You, what happens if you break something? That something might be a relationship with a client. That something might be, um, you know, a payment moving through your platform or a data breach that could cost you your whole business. Like, breaking things is a very bad thing for companies. You should not be trying to break things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a, a trial, try things and pivot fastly, uh, fast, right? If it's not working, is maybe maybe where. A lot of that, I, I think, where the the origin of that really was, right? I I, I think I don't know, but uh, I like that as well. Um, I also really like what you were saying, just with regard to getting that group together and uh, and convincing it. If you can't convince the first person uh, that what you're doing isn't insane, uh, then it's going to be difficult to sell your product. And so I, I love that line. That's a really great line because I, isn't that the truth? I mean, there's so many people that I've talked to who have great ideas, you know, they're just brilliant people or they think they have a great idea and they're brilliant people. And they, they are just so tunnel vision sometime where they don't see the cracks in the, in what they have or what they're trying to build. And they, they can't convince somebody else to come on and and join them. Yeah. They're never going to be able to sell that. So you're right. And speaking of that, I mean, you came on not at the very beginning. So you were, uh, sharing with me that uh, uh, the company was founded first. You came in real early as a co-founder, and that was one of the things that uh, that 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 you did is you were see- seeing or observing some of the things that they weren't doing quite right, uh, and uh, and and obviously you had faith in the idea. You didn't think they were insane, and so you jumped on board, invested your own time and energy into now trying to grow this company into something much bigger as you have done over the last three years. But before we get into your backstory, why don't you share with us a little bit more about Good Lawyer? So what problem is it that you're trying to solve for entrepreneurs, small business people right now? Totally. So the original guy who came up with the idea was Brett Colvin, our CEO and co-founder. Uh, along with his um, former co-founder, Steve Bodie, uh, who were lawyers at a big firm in Canada. They were very young guys doing huge files for entrepreneurs. Uh, and they were billing out at kind of $300 to $500 an hour at BLG. Um, and the founders couldn't afford it. It was just a terrible legal experience. Like they were, they tracked their time in six minute increments. Um, they knew they weren't even really the best people for the files they were doing. Like they're, they, they need senior expertise and you've got someone with like a couple of years experience on it. Um, gradually they moved up at the firm and got skilled. I'm sure those things, but, um, the truth is that sometimes founder files are really small for those big firms. Mm-hmm. Those files get sent to students and early stage associates who do all the work. Um, so even though you're paying an extreme premium to work with the largest firm, uh, in Canada, you're getting work from someone who's relatively new to the whole thing. Um, 
it just didn't feel right to them. Yep. Now, Good Lawyer is basically the anti that. So we've made a software that lets you work directly with the lawyer, cuts out all the overhead and things. So um, another piece of that that story was that when Brett's billing out at five hundred dollars an hour, he's keeping about seventy. Um, that seems pretty messed up because where's the rest of that going? Like one yeah. person's doing the work for one person, and the rest of it's just vanishing into overhead. Um, so that was the problem they wanted to solve. And the solution is basically a marketplace model. So you can go straight to the lawyer, cut out the overhead. Um, and now we're finding that there's a lot of other things we can build into that model that make the legal experience better. Um, things like transparency around pricing, like knowing your price before you start. Things like um, knowing your deadlines, like when you're going to get it. Things like being able to talk to your lawyer whenever you want, not whenever they want. Um, lots of things that really elevate the legal experience for founders. Yeah. And when I was on your website, what I really loved was that you have bundles um, as well. So you have these fixed price bundles. So we have cost certainty as a startup or as a small business person, It's uh, which is really nice to see because sometimes like once you start, you, that file gets open and you start working with it before you know know it before anything is actually accomplished you're thousands and thousands of dollars potentially into it on the billable side of things and it's just the, the clock is just rolling forward in this case if i need something i know exactly what that cost is going to be which i love that model yeah totally like so many companies need like a standard service agreement like it can't be like a template online because that wouldn't apply to their business directly but it doesn't have to be like a cadillac of agreements that's going to work for like million dollar deals internationally um so you can go to good lawyer and get like a standard agreement customized for your business for a flat price um that's something we do lots of we also do a lot of the, the bigger stuff like we um but those flat prices are pretty integral to the model those are uh things that we believe are like a standard amount of value delivered at a standard price yeah yeah it's uh it's really cool that you guys have come in and disrupted this whole industry really um so from a competitive standpoint do you have many competitors out there that have a similar kind of model or are you guys pretty unique there's a few um but they're a lot smaller than us at this point um certainly we're the biggest in canada it's not a model that is legal in the states fully uh, mm. which is why it doesn't exist there um there are some companies kind of dabbling around it in australia the uk um france even uh, and some elements in the states and but limited um really really limited because it's seen as fee splitting in a lot mm. of places which means like it could potentially um compromise like the quality of the work but also the integrity of the work um so anyway what I would say is Canada is basically pretty advanced on legal innovation. Um, and that's why it has to be built here first. Um, from here, we can go into all these places. And as the regulations are opening up, we're pretty confident that we'll be able to be global at the end of the day, because the business of law, which is what we do, is basically exactly the same anywhere on Earth. Yeah. The yeah. The, the essence <laughs> is the same, right? There's nuances, but the essence of it is pretty, pretty much the same. Yeah. So now back to your story then. So, uh, tell me how you got involved with these guys, how you had those that first conversation where you decided these guys weren't insane. They do have a business model. And, and why did you yourself want to get involved? Totally. So um, I've worked in startups for most of my career. Um, so I kind of knew what that was like. And I was at an event uh, and I ran into the team and they were running around with business cards, trying to sell people at this event on their idea. Um, and I 
didn't think that was very efficient. So I talked to uh, one of the co-founders who I knew from a previous startup I had with my brother. Um, but we hadn't really talked in a couple of years and I kind of explained like what I would do. And um, they liked it. They're like, okay, let's try it. I had like, I guess it was like a frantic phone interview type thing. Um, and then I eventually went and met the team in person. Like, this is what we're going to do. And he was right in COVID when COVID was breaking out. So like, we couldn't really even like be in the same room. Um, yeah. So one thing led to another. I was consulting for them for a month uh, before my bills got too expensive for the company. Uh, in that month, I did uh, dip my toes into it because I knew I kind of wanted to see if this could be a, a full full on thing. So one of the things I did in my engagement was I called every customer we had um, to see how things were going for them and see if they liked using the platform. Uh, and they loved it. And this was the big thing for me. It's like, I, once the customers were telling me like, yeah, this is amazing. Like, I can't believe this didn't exist before. I knew that the company was going somewhere. Um, yeah. And then I was getting early traction on like the work I was doing. I was like, okay, we could sell things. People love it. Like the model to me intuitively makes sense, but there's some evidence to back up that this is going places. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of when I decided I would jump in. And so then you jump in, you take uh, some equity then instead of of pay completely. I'd imagine it's some sort of blend, is it? Yeah, sad, yeah. but yeah. equity's good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and so then you're you're now on the ownership uh, team, and you're you're really trying to grow this thing. And so it sounds like you've had a lot of success in the three years that you guys have been around. Now, in terms of your journey then through that um can you share with us a little bit about what it's like coming in as a co-founder but not in the original founding group totally so maybe one of the dirty secrets of startups is that the uh co-founding is super tough and co-founders often leave like i mentioned steve before like Mm -hmm. one of the original co-founders left he didn't want to work in a startup anymore he wanted to go back to law um that was an expensive and difficult breakup um, all around because he had a lot of equity. Um, so that was one I came in after that. Um, and I was to some extent kind of outside the group. Like I didn't know really anybody on the co-founding team. All the other three at that time uh, knew each other from like high school or through family or whatever. Um, so I did feel a little bit on the outside of that. Um, but what was special about it was I had a skill set that fit in right where they needed it. Um, mm. Like we had a lawyer and CEO and a visionary leader. And that's Brett. Uh, And he's really, really good at all those things. Um, We had a CTO. He was a very capable, flexible developer who can understand architecture and all those things. And we had a CPO, I guess a chief product officer um, who could design and uh, basically enable the CTO to work faster and more efficiently. But we had no one on growth or sales or anything like that. So there was like a huge gap that I like just slipped right into. Um, so that part made it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, one of the things that I would think might be an, ad- an advantage for you is that you're not a lawyer. Correct me if I'm wrong, because I think one of the challenges that lawyers have is they see the risk always, right? They see where things could go wrong. Um, and so from somebody who's on the business development side, trying to sell the product, sell the service, uh, you, you really have to focus on, you, you know, all the things that are going to go right. <laughs> and you have to ha- approach it from a slightly different perspective. And obviously, every business needs to manage its risk well. But I mean, that's one of the challenges that, um, you know, some of the startup 
uh, entrepreneurs that I've talked to who have, uh, they've always called themselves recovering lawyers. They, they have the legal background. That's one of the things that they always say that they struggle with the most is actually taking the risk um, and, and stepping out a little bit of their comfort zone. So that is that something that you and the rest of the partners who aren't uh, lawyers, do you really balance that part of it out? Or does uh, the CEO have a, a real knack for being able to balance that himself? Um, I, I mean, no, we have a risk tolerance CEO, that's for sure. <laughs> he's all in. Um, I think he, he kind of understands how this works. Like it's, um, it is all in, like it's the consequences of failure are the company disappearing, um, which is high, but also like no one's going to jail for it. So um, we've already kind of lived at the max from the beginning and like failing to move and failing to act has the same consequence as making a mistake. So we're actually fairly risk tolerant, I would say. Um, I do think your point on lawyers is really good though. I think like uh, lawyers can broadly be defined as like deal makers and deal breakers. And this is a thing they do, not me. Um, deal makers are the people who look for uh you know managing just enough risk to get the job done deal breakers are the people who will try to find any kind of loophole and close it um those can kill deals because they extend them they the period for like three six months um we work with entrepreneurs we tend to work with deal maker lawyers um yeah that's the exact reason it's like at the end of the day we're trying to get this close this client or whatever it's not necessarily about like reducing the risk on this contract to zero isn't going to help our company. Um, closing the deal at the, min- the minimum acceptable risk is. So yeah, that's, that's my stance on that. Yeah. So now one of the things that we talked about before we hit the record button is just conflict, conflict in partnerships and uh, organizations and startups in particular, as you're you know, growing fast and trying not to break things like you mentioned. Um, and so there's a lot of different um, personalities around the table, different ideas around the table. And sometimes conflict is just inevitable. You have to have to address it. Um, some entrepreneurs, some people, some managers, they'll try to avoid that at all costs. You guys have a different approach on that, it sounds like. Yeah, I'd say I think... Um... Academics will broadly define conflict in three ways. Like it's either task conflict, like conflict around working activities, um, how to do the job, uh, process conflict, which is kind of like the weird one that no one really talks about. Uh, it's more conflict around like, like yeah, how, sorry, how do we do the, how do we do the thing? Task conflict is more about doing the thing, uh, and then interpersonal conflict, which is like you're a jerk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good lawyer is characterized by high con high levels of task conflict. Um, we argue about what to do because we are all in the same boat. Like we've got sophisticated legal acumen on the team, therefore we make liberal use of uh, those leader those share tools which are available to startups who have rapidly growing valuations um, to to compensate people. And as a result, we're all owners uh, to some degree. And owners have a motive not just to appease their boss, but to help the company succeed. And that means that uh, if they get the feeling that their boss is driving the company off a cliff, there's a conversation and it's going to be passionate. Um, so there's certainly been some raised voices in the office over the last couple of years. Um, and I will not pretend otherwise. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's and it's fine. It's totally good. And this is one of the things that a lot of people uh, are you know, so nervous about, but conflict is good because at the end of that, 
oftentimes you end up in a much better place than what you had at the beginning. Like you said, if if somebody's taking the company or making decisions that uh, you don't necessarily agree with, but you're both trying to drive the business in the same direction, as long as you're aligned in that overall direction, then the conflict is going to make it so that you can get there in the in the best way possible, probably you enhance the the odds of success. So one of the things that uh that that I'm also curious about because you've talked to a lot of founders, because that's what you said, like you're out there having these conversations all the time with founders. Are you finding uh in your conversations with them any common uh threads there in terms of the skill sets that they bring to the table that differentiate the ones who seem to be successful from the ones who seem to be struggling more? Yeah, I mean, uh not only do I talk to a lot of founders, I also uh study them. So my undergrad and my MBA both specialize in, in entrepreneurship. Oh, awesome. Uh, what I see is generalists like startup founders generally generalists entrepreneurs are generally generalists um with expertise in an industry so knowing that industry inside and out and then being able to perform different functions in it um without like worshiping one thing and, and this is really hard if you go like so you ran an seo company and you want to start a startup you're going to use seo to market that startup like that's your yep. weapon of choice you're going to go straight in for it um but if that turns out to be not the right tool the founder is going to have to find other tools so I, I certainly see a lot of generalists. Um, the other thing I see, and this is more from academic like academia, um, founders are very diverse. Like the way they approach it is very, very different across the board. I've seen people who bootstrap from nothing. I've seen people who've raised a fantastic amount of capital with absolutely zero traction. Yeah. Um, and I've seen everything in between. I would say the common thread is the entrepreneurs tend to be resilient. Um, the, the amount of stress you get put under is absurd sometimes and to bow out is always an option. Like you can always quit and go back to whatever job you did before you started your company, um, and settle down and do that for the rest of your life. But the, uh, successful entrepreneurs push through that stubbornly and, uh, deal with it, which is, which is very impressive. I have a huge respect for all entrepreneurs in, in Canada and around the world. Yeah. So I, I'm curious because you've studied entrepreneurs, you are an entrepreneur. Uh, so this is a, this is a very unique, uh, you know, opportunity for me to talk to somebody who is, who, who has all this knowledge. So from a, the personal perspective yourself, uh, I'm really interested to know what you think is one of the biggest challenges that you, but, or maybe also from what you're hearing, what you're, um, you know, experience with other entrepreneurs What's the biggest challenge to the entrepreneurial life? Hmm. Yes, yeah, so all the hard questions here. <laughs> so many different challenges. What's the biggest one? Um, I feel like, I mean, maybe that's part of the point is that there are many different challenges. And I think being an entrepreneur means, as I said, being a generalist and resilient, it means being able to solve a lot of different problems. Um, but I would say dealing with stress is probably the big one. Like it, it creeps into every part of your life. And I've seen uh, in startups I've worked with, I've seen relationships fall apart. I've seen people gain tons of weight, um, kind of become shadows of their former selves over the years. And um, never mind like the money, like it's, there's things about living a good life. And one of them is certainly health. I've, I've seen health decline rapidly and, in founders. Um, so being able to deal with that stress is critical. 
So I throw it back at you then in that sense, like what is it that you do to maintain your health, whether it's mental or physical to, so that you can come and show up, you know, your best self every day. It's a good question. And I, this is, again, it is personal. So I'm glad you asked it, but my approach is that like, I need to be on the top of my game so I can make good decisions um, because my decisions have consequences for other people, um, yeah. not just myself. So I, really try to stay on top of my own health um i balance it with simple like uh kind of body mind soul technique like watch my my physical health i gotta make sure i'm exercising i eat uh as well as i can and um sleep you know those those basic pillars of those things i also really try to avoid uh heavy drinking or drugs anything like that uh, i know that can be a common kind of out for founders and i know sometimes you get pushed and then you kind of have to but um they generally mess with your brain and i find that they stress me out more than they help so yeah try to avoid all that uh socially like having good friends and and healthy relationships is critical and i think communicating a lot with your partner helps like uh, my partner certainly is like a counselor to me sometimes um and even just being able to talk to her about challenges i'm facing at work even though she is completely outside her her world um, she can be very sympathetic and I feel like completely relieved and absolved when I've had a, a chat with her. Yeah. yeah. So those are yeah. some, I think, uh, what was the last one mentally, I think, um, just m- like mental focus, I think comes from the physical focus. Like if you can stay healthy, you can stay clear. Um, and just knowing your limits and when you are going to hit them and yes. Yeah trying to avoid making critical decisions when you're at a mental low. Um, some of those things should just be slept on. Yeah. I, I think you just delivered a whole pile of nuggets of information there. And so like the last one was, is so true, right? It's about, it's kind of like the, the, uh, the advice that you're given is to, you know, when you're writing a letter, <laughs> responding to somebody and you're in uh, the wrong state of mind, maybe just wait to send it in the morning and reread it. And if you ever do that, you end up rewriting the whole damn thing because it's like, yeah, no, time is uh, time is good in those circumstances. Get in a different frame of mind. But the one thing that you you said that uh, I wrote down uh, that I really liked too was the, the, the fact that the consequences of your decisions impact so many others when you're the founder of a company, when you're in a senior leadership position of a company. And that's something that we shouldn't take lightly. And uh, so I really like the fact that you you mentioned that because it is such a an easy thing to forget uh, because we oftentimes you know, internalize everything ourselves. Um, and so it's about us. It's the stress that we're taking on and everything else and the impact it has on our own personal lives. But it really has a ripple effect across everybody else who's reporting to you or in the case when you're re- leading a company, everybody else is in that company. So I really like that one. So thanks for sharing that. Um, I, a question for you uh, because of the uh, academic approach that you've had to learning about entrepreneurship and now then the what you're doing right now and I suspect uh, you probably have continued to be quite a reader or consumer anyway of uh, of of business content and so do you have a favorite book do you have a favorite podcaster blogger somebody that you really admire and you look uh, forward to reading their content or absorbing their content um, is there any any thing that jumps out at you is that uh, we might can be able to share here with our audience. 
Yeah. Um, I was worried you'd ask that. I'm going <laughs> to take it down left field. I, I generally avoid like pop media and stuff like that, I think. Um, yeah. And the rigor is just very low, even in books that appear really well researched. Um, and I'll, I'll take a stab at a specific one so that I can illustrate this point. But like Good to Great is considered one of the top business books by most mm-hmm. people. Yeah. Uh, the, the methodology is inherently flawed. They took a group of successful companies and then they found unsuccessful companies to compare them with. And they said, this is why they're successful. Um, but they could not apply that in a predictive way. It was applied mm-hmm. retroactively. Yeah. So the whole like pseudoscientific basis to the book is, is flawed. Uh, I'm not saying it's not right, but I'm definitely not saying it is right. The, the science doesn't conclude anything from that. Um, most of the research that is being done is a lot more cautious around prescribing these things. And, um, and I find that piece, like one, I think that the, the methodology behind most, like what I call pop, pop business books is flawed. I think people are looking for an easy out and they find it in those books. And two, uh, they, the situations are so different. Like you look at the author and they're like, this guy built, you know, a construction company in Calgary in the eighties. It's like, well, obviously he's rich like there was a boom here we built like half the city in the 80s um <laughs> you could be like a meth head on the corner of the street shoveling concrete and make pretty good money uh, <laughs> like it's different situation you're trying to build like a software company on the same principles you're gonna run into trouble um yeah even if the yeah. advice was spot on so yeah yeah no and i think that's really good i i like the where you're you're taking that critical approach where it's like think about what you're reading a little bit more and and uh really try to discern the basis of what they're trying to communicate or the the formula that they're trying to create because that's the thing with so many of the business books right it's all everybody's trying to preach some new formula uh to it and it's uh sometimes it's it just like I think earlier you were talking about it and I definitely have had other guests on this show talk about just how unique entrepreneurs are and the challenges that we all face. And we can't apply the same advice across the board because the problems, the personalities, the industries are, the, and then the time frame is so different. So, yeah, yeah. I think that's good advice. Um, if you were to write yourself a letter uh, that you could send back to your younger self three years ago, what would be in that letter? Um, I mean, probably get into really specific stuff because I think about this all the time. <laughs> but um, first and foremost, so we're building a marketplace company with supply and demand on it. Um, those two sides have to be balanced to create a good experience. You want enough lawyers yeah. and enough clients. Um, and we rely heavily on referrals. So like 40% of our customers are coming in from referrals from other users. Um, which is another one of the benefits of a marketplace model. These tend to have really good virality. Um, we started out serving all of Canada and we have been kind of forced to stick with that. Um, it would have been way simpler to serve one jurisdiction at a time. I mean, we've got a lot more hype. And, and the example here is like for us to acquire a client in Alberta, very easy. Uh, our reputation is quite good here. There's a pretty good chance they've heard of us from multiple sources or even met one of the team members. When I walk into, I was in a meeting in, with a guy in Halifax today. Um, he has never heard of us, obviously. He has no idea what's going on. It's way harder to pitch him. In fact, even getting him onto that meeting was really difficult. So yeah. um, if I was to go back to point number one, I would limit the scope as much as possible and get like a nice dense network going instead of going broad. Because it's really hard to put the genie back in the bottle. Hmm. So uh, the other yeah, one I, I think... 
Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that that is, that's bang on like uh, that the challenge that you guys have in building both sides of the market at the same time, we've had other entrepreneurs on here with a similar challenge where they're doing, doing both sides of it. It is so difficult. And for you guys to be able to succeed in that broader market right across Canada, the way that you have to date is just kudos to the, to you guys and to the product that you have, obviously, it's it's something that is resonating as far as a need with people. So um, anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. What's your the second thing that you have in that letter? Yeah, we're brute forcing, and it, it um, it's working, but it is a lot harder than it would have been. And yeah, so uh, point number two, I'd probably leave is um, cash is king. So like, mm. I really think this can't be emphasized enough. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are way ahead of me and my mentality on this, but. Um, the startup ethos for a long time was all about growth is like grow as fast as possible. You'll get a bunch of funding. You'll get really big. Um, which when you get into it, you realize it's kind of like a weird Ponzi scheme where like the startups kind of get this venture capital just so they can make it to the next milestone. So that those same investors can cash out and like leave. And the next ones can kind of like try to get you to the next one so they can cash out. And it's never really about, you know, the business getting all the way to being profitable or anything like that. It's just about growing rapidly between those milestones so they can cash out at a higher valuation. Yeah. Um, building healthy cash numbers really makes a lot of that stuff easier. Like you don't have to worry about getting so much venture capital. It's easier to track the capital um, and uh, things like burn rate and stuff like that just kind of come naturally if you're already focused on cash and not like top line growth. So yeah, um, I would say like, yeah, healthy cash I, is a healthy business. I, I was going to ask, have you guys been able to self-fund this or has it been something where you've you've brought in outside investors, friends and family rounds, anything like that? We've raised a few rounds um, mm-hmm. and full credit to Brett and um, his work there. He's an incredible fundraiser and he tells the story brilliantly. And um, we've been fortunate enough to raise a bunch of capital, but a lot of other companies do not have that option. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, it's harder than you think to raise around. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Lots of nuances there. But I, I got to tell you, Grant, I really appreciate uh, the fact that you came onto the show and shared with us your experiences, both as an entrepreneur, as a you know uh, co-founder that came in a little bit after. I think that's a new take uh, or a different take than what a lot of the people are that I'm talking to. And so it's a it's a different different experience. And so there's a lot of things that you learned there, a lot of things that you're able to share. Uh, loved some of the comments that you've made. Uh, definitely. <laughs> the one that I just keep going back to is just that having to convince somebody else that you're, you're, you know, that you're not insane. Your product is that our service is not insane. And so uh, gather that group around you uh, that you can uh, convince that first. So, you know, that you actually have a product. That's the first time I've ever heard that, right? Because usually it's about, we'll go out and try to sell it to somebody. Um, you're talking about selling it to who could be a co-founder. So um, that's a really great piece of advice. So uh, thank you very much, Grant. Um, I really appreciate it. If people wanted to connect with you, wanted to learn more about Good Lawyer, what's the best way to do so? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, they can always uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. It's LinkedIn slash Grant Learning. Uh, but you can also email me. It's grant at goodlawyer.ca. Always happy to have a chat with a founder. That's kind of my rule. Uh, my calendar is yours. Uh, if you want to chat about anything, whether it's, it's legal, obviously, obviously we can help you out. But if it's growth or like your own experience, I'd love to hear that too. And um, always open for a chat with the founder. 
Yeah, sounds great. And we're going to chat a little bit more right after I wrap this up. So for anybody who really enjoyed this episode and want to check out the archives, head over to amplifyyourbusiness.ca. That's where you're going to find us. And also, if you prefer listening to this on an audio only uh, format, then just search for Amplify Your Business on your favorite podcasting platform and you'll find us. Until next time, everybody have a prosperous day. And thanks again, Grant. I really appreciate the time. 